super excited to welcome you to this show. I've been wanting to do this for a long time. Today's guest is Doug Goodfeather. He was born at Standing Rock Indian Reservation, home of Sitting Bull, one of my greatest mentors. He's a native Lakota speaker and spiritual man, an Iraqi war veteran of two tours, works with veterans now. Uh, he's a stage and screen actor and a producer. He's an international cultural ambassador, Grammy award-winning Lakota singer, a powwow fancy dancer, and he's a father. He's also working now to raise hemp uh, for part of the work that he's doing for some of his organizations, and we'll talk more about that. Uh, Doug has a psychology and counseling degree as well, and he is also a sun dancer, one of the most sacred positions, I guess, in the Lakota culture. Goodfeather is the founder and spiritual teacher of the Lakota Way Healing Center. It's out in Colorado. That's where I first uh, got word of him. He's also the spiritual leader of Spirit Horse Nation. And that's a community of like-minded organizations and tribes and people from all kinds of different backgrounds and schools of thought that are working together to elevate the consciousness of Mother Earth. Goodfeather was shown a life-altering spiritual vision where Wakan Tanka, our creator, instructed him to share the Native American ways and medicine with all of humanity. Today, Goodfeather's vision has become a worldwide movement of spiritual healing through Native ways. I've been wanting to do this for a long time, as I mentioned. It's an honor to have someone of such revered Lakota culture and such a revered teacher here on the show. Uh, and Doug and I have kind of be uh, friends through this as well, which is another amazing benefit doing a show like this to get connected with such amazing people. Doug's a wealth of vital Lakota wisdom, and I want to share that with you today. He's got a vast experience of also of helping people to not only understand it, but to implement it in their lives in a very harmonious way. Uh, we have a lot to learn from the Lakota perspective. It's one of the cultures I've studied the most, and I've studied a lot, and I, I always come back to this one as being so in harmony with everything that I know to be true and, and in terms of how we can live as humans, how we can thrive together. I think it represents the kind of the ultimate culture for me for living in alignment with humanity, nature and spirit. We have a lot that we can take from that culture and then overlay it over today's politics and social settings and the things, that, you know, even the, the maladies of our world that we're trying to heal. Uh, I think it starts with perspective. And today I'm going to share an amazing journey with you on this sacred red road path of a Lakota uh, with Doug Goodfeather. Enjoy. This is a space for authentic conversations around indigenous wisdom, spiritual growth, and social consciousness as we forge a path towards a more peaceful and harmonious world. I'm Jared Angaza, and this is Inipi Radio.
When Doug and I first got on the call, we had a bit of a chat uh, and he shared some thoughts on the Lakota way and, and what that means. And it was really cool. It was a bit informal, uh, but it was good enough. I think I'm going to keep it here and I want to put it on the track for you to listen to as a little intro. So here you go. I mean, we're all indigenous to this earth, no matter where you come from. Mm -hmm. You're coming from wherever place your origins from, but we migrated in different places here, everywhere. And we bring that, that if we go back to our ancestral lineage, we can find that we have some kind of cultural awareness of uh, who we are and how we connected to our the land and how our people lived then and incorporated into today's world. And so I talk about those things that, you know, it's not about trying to be Lakota or living in that aspect, yeah. but it's to, it's what I'm, what I want to get out there is that we want people to, um, what I think I want people to learn and is to accept, um, themselves as you know we all have our issues but we want to learn how to accept ourselves as uh, indigenous thinker as how we would take care of the earth and how we would commune with that relationship with everything that's around us and in our language we call it midakuye uh, oyasi what it means is we are all related and what that the old people say is that Everything that God has created naturally is our relation. We have a relationship with that connection somehow, someplace, somewhere. And we're all stardusts. So <laughs> in that aspect, we think about how we would um, relate and walk in a ceremonial way as how we would take care of ourselves is how we would take care of the earth yeah. and how we would think of ourselves. It's how we, we think of the earth because what we do to the, our mother earth is what we, what we do to ourselves and yeah. what we do to each other, we do to ourselves. So when we destruct ourselves, we're destructing somebody else because people care about us. People love us. People, you know, look up to us, our children, our grandchildren, our brothers, our sisters, our mothers, our father, so on and so forth. So it's how you would carry yourself on this earth every step of the way. Uh, and how how you think that way by caring for yourself, you carry care for the Mother Earth and now, uh, and everything else that you respect, like everything else has a life. You know, the birds, the trees, you know, they all have a purpose on this earth. So we have to respect that purpose and take what we need and use what we need to take care of each other and uh, to give back in a good way. It's always giving back, reciprocal for how we take care of uh, what we take and how we take care of it. And now here's the official interview with Doug Goodfeather. Enjoy. All right. Thank you, Doug, for being on the show. You're welcome. Thank you for having me. Appreciate it. I'm excited, man. I've, I've been, uh, I've been following you for a long time and I've been following your, your work and we'll we'll get into that uh your your two websites and then <laughs> it seems like you're connected to just about all the other uh major indigenous activities that I follow as well so we'll talk a little bit about that as well 
And I, I want to, you know, uh, NEP radio audience, I am, it's a big honor to have Doug Goodfeather on the show today and to have him as a voice of the Lakota here uh, is quite an honor. So we've got lots to cover and I think what we're going to end up doing is probably a series of shows with Doug and... Uh, again, it's a big honor to be able to do that. Let's dive into some of the questions. We'll see how far we get, and then I imagine we'll uh, we'll continue this as we go. So, first of all, Doug, just give us a little bit of uh, understanding about some of the things that you are working on now, and some of your biggest focuses. I know you have a new book coming out on Hay House. Uh, books and, and that's uh, I'm a big Hay House fan so that's really cool so why don't you start off with uh, telling us about that because that's a good lead into some of the things we're going to talk about a good friend of mine a uh, good brother of mine his name is Doug Panetta as well Red Hail Panetta and he's helping me write the book and uh, he uh, I, I guess he's t- taking what the things that I have talked about and learned and, and teach and the way I carry them and putting them into layman's terms into these books so people can understand them because there's a way you talk when, when you're living um, a spiritual life and you're walking it, you speak a spiritual way. There's a spiritual language, there's a spiritual intelligence and there's a connection in that way you carry yourself. So a lot of times people don't understand that. So he's taking those kind of things that I say and putting them in layman's terms to help people understand them. And that way, so we submitted the book. It's called Think Indigenous. And um, we submitted a book, uh, I believe it was in June or let me see, September or October of last year, uh, the 9th. And we submitted it and it uh, won first place in the Hay House um, contest. And then we got all, everything was is paid for publishing everything advertising it's all paid for and and we had to go through this mile long list of uh, contract negotiation mm-hmm. but it came out too good and uh, uh, so that's what I'm doing right now and um, uh, we're we're working on that we're getting it submitted at the end of this at the end of May we'll submit it and then it'll come out in 2019 and it'll be announced uh, October and uh, that's when people can start purchasing it, and then um, it comes out 2019, January 2019, I believe. And uh, yeah, so, and also uh, the kind of work that I do is uh, <clears throat> I, it, it, it's a long story, but uh, I mean, that's what I'm doing right now. I'm also growing hemp. So, <laughs> Excellent. so I'm doing that right now. Yeah. So I know you're you're growing hemp and you're you're also experimenting uh, or, or at least want to with CBD, which I'm a big fan of as well for as a, you know, as a uh, healing sacred medicine. And before we get into that, because uh, I know that's associated with some of your other work. Let's talk. Tell us a little uh, just a, a brief kind of synopsis of the two organizations that I know you're working or that you founded and are working with Lakota Healing Way Center uh, and Spirit Horse Nation. Yes, Lakota Way Healing Center is uh, more of a uh, humanitarian um, organization, and Spirit Horse Nation is a environmental. And so, when I I'm a combat vet, so I did eight years in the United States Army. I did two to- two tours in Iraq, and um, so when I uh, 
got out of the military, um, I, I, I pursued my healing through uh, our spiritual ways. And, um, and then I started getting into um, uh, going to the VA and getting all, you know, synthetic. And um, it didn't work out for me too good. So, and about 2015, 16, I started taking uh, CBD. And that's where it really, uh, I seen the change and everything started happening. And, but the organization that I work with, I work with PTSD veterans, not only veterans, but um, civilians as well, addictions suicide prevention and homelessness and an environmental part. And I recommend when I work with um, veterans and people that are suffering from even ailments, you know, I recommend them that, you know, that to take CBD. And uh, I work through a spiritual way of the Lakota people and the ancestral ways of uh, healing people through sweat lodges and vision quests, rites of passages and, bringing them through that aspect of their life that missing that might be a missing link through their healing and past traumas and helping them heal from that part so that's what i've been doing so i that's why i got into cbd and hemp and because of that and um you know i always advocate for our veterans because you know you drive around and you see veterans standing on the streets with signs and sleeping outside and that's not right and our people, our, our country needs to take care of them, and because man, they lay down their line, their life to this country, and they're not being treated right. So I advocate for them in that way to help them and do the best I can and help them in that way. But in and the Spirit Horse Nation really kicked off um, right before, probably about four years ago, maybe a little four years ago, we started that, and um, but really kicked off during Standing Rock, the movement of Standing Rock. And that's where I'm originally from. I was born and raised and grew up in Standing Rock in South Dakota side on a little district called uh, Rock Creek. And I was born and raised there and raised by my grandpas and grandmas and great grandmas and great grandmas. I was raised by them. And so that's why, you know, they're the ones who taught me the, the environment, how important it is and how to to be respectful and, and to love our our mother earth and to be to show to to be taught how to see the love from our mother earth and and to respect that love and and to know how to really connect in that way and then when standing rock movement came i realized you know this is a a movement that really uh, awoken everything in the world because my grandmas used to say whatever you're hiding underneath the table will eventually come to the surface to the top of the table or you can't you like it's like grease in the water at all our surfaces and so all these corporations hiding these big um uh money making oil mongers and environmental um careless people that are destructing our earth came to the surface because I, I believe because of standing rock movement, it just shook everything up. It rattled the cage and people woke up and realized, man, we need to change because 
you know, they try to they try to oppress it with the with the cops, with the military, with the army, with the FBI. Everybody came in at Standing Rock and just. But it was so big of a movement. They realized that you know, you know, now we got to deal with it, and you know, now the movement's on. It's on, and people are awakened are awakened, and it's time to you know make things right for our mother earth because we have our children coming our grandchildren so on and so forth so that's our spirit horse nation really took effect and really stood out and we really pushed that movement and i was a big part of it and um, um i really got involved in helping and the spiritual aspect of uh this movement and did my best to you know coordinate a lot of things that needed to be coordinated with other organizations and and everything like that so yeah there's so much there that uh, I want to unpack as well there are a couple of films that really uh, <laughs> that really open up uh, the the door to what actually went down at Standing Rock which I feel so few people know and there there are two films that I wanted to to give a shout out to uh, and by the way I've, I've, most of most of my listeners know I think that I have a resource page, education and inspiration is what I call it there, on the uh, NEP Radio website. So if you go to the, the website and look at the menu on the left there, you'll see education. Click on that and you go to a page. It's full of resources of all the things that kind of inspired me to do this show and have inspired my my life, really. Uh, from gurus to, uh, to books to um, documentaries and so on. And on there, I have a couple of them showcased. One of them is uh, Black Snake Killers, uh, a no doppel story. And it was, man, it just, it, it really opened up. Like I, I followed every step. I have friends there. I was, you know, I have all kinds of connections to that movement. And I learned a lot in that film because I really, really went into it. Um, the next film is uh, the Awake film. Uh, now that, wow, Awake, A Dream from Standing Rock. That film was amazing. It really moved me. It, was, it had a lot of beauty to it. It wasn't all just doom and gloom either. Uh, and it talks a lot about what's, you know, what we can do moving forward. I know you were a producer on the Awake film, correct? Yes, I was executive producer on that film. Tell us a little bit about putting that together. All right, well... Obviously, you know, it was Myron Dewey from Digital Smoke Signals and Florice, um, uh, I believe her name is Florice Walking Bull or Florice. Um, anyways, she was on her, Florice and um, Josh Fox and James Spion. And um, there was other editors, uh, Tina, I forget her. I don't know how to pronounce her last name, but she was on there. And... Um, it started out when I met Josh down there and, uh, and then uh, he started doing interviews and we just got to know each other through a mutual friend. One of my, um, you know, you make relationships, you have extended families and one of my white bull. Yes. Fleurie's white bull. Yeah. <laughs> um, and uh, my nephew, um, um, Josue Rivas, Rivas. And, uh, he uh, had a mutual connection with Josh Fox, and that's how I got to know him. And then we started working on the uh, film. And then I met uh, Myron Dewey and Florice, and they were doing an amazing job, especially um, 
Myron Dewey, um, he was a big target hunter, and uh, we had some very, uh, you know, some intimate conversations, just me and him, and he told me a lot about what happened, and some things that happened he hasn't explained, but I'll let him do that for himself, but, you know, that was, it was such a, I didn't realize how dangerous it was getting, and how dangerous it got for people's lives, um, what the the militia of uh, DAPO was doing undercover and uh, really turning people against each other and how good that was and how sneaky it was. It was crazy. So you really, you, you, you really had to uh, know who your friends were um, because even though you thought somebody was a good guy, you know, they're really undercover for DAPO and, so we found out a lot of things like that that were happening under the scenes and and um, uh, working on that film just opened up a big can of worms and I didn't realize how dangerous it really got until I started working on that film. So, but it was a it was a great project. I loved doing it. Worked with good people and uh, some very intelligent people, and it was just it was fun, but it was sad too. And, yeah. Um, so. Yeah, I mean, watching the film, I, I mean, I, I remember I got, I got teared up in quite a few places, um, in, in that one and in the, the Black Snake Killers one, because it, especially the, the, the second one really went into the details of, of the, the nasty stuff that went on, which I think is also important. Um, yeah. And it's because it, I, I felt like if people saw that film, either of these films really, like just the average American to, to see that film and to understand that that really happened. I think, I, I think of people in my life that are intelligent, caring people. And I think about them watching that film and I, I just, I feel like most of them will look at it and be like, that's not real. Like they, that could not be happening right now. And it did. And it yeah. is, it's not like it just, you know, happened a year ago and then went away. It's been happening for many, many years before that many years now, or, and then continuing on after, uh, that fight is is still as relevant today as it was before, and unfortunately, because of the insane mu- news cycles that we have, uh, you know, obviously, it doesn't get the attention that it did before either, uh, which is which is unfortunate and and typical in this kind of a scenario. But you you said one thing here about you know how or you you kind of touched on the the fact that we do have a lot of destruction going on now, and there's a lot of destructive behavior, especially coming out of the White House and so on. Uh, I watched I watched a full interview on the was it Stephen Colbert last night with um, James Comey. It's a very interesting interview, but I, I noted one thing that Comey said, and regardless of anyone's politics here, I, I think what he said was very intelligent. And he said Trump's White House is like a forest fire; it destroys everything in its path. But something to remember about a forest fire is that it also clears everything out and makes way for new growth and new awakenings and things like that. And I certainly feel that way. I feel that what's going on in America today, uh, let's just say all the negative stuff, <laughs> is in fact waking people up. Uh, that's part of why I love the, the name of the film, Awake, uh, because it does speak to that. And I do think that people are waking up. I think that a lot of them are waking up, opening their eyes, seeing that there's a problem. And now they're, now they're kind of uh, tasked with, what do I do about it? Um, and I, I wanted to I wanted to touch on one thing too before we move on, uh, because we'll we'll focus more on this this part here. But with the 
it, it, with in, in regards to one specific people group, veterans, uh, that's an interesting one that I, I think people were surprised to see the amount of veterans come out to support Standing Rock. Uh, and a lot of, I mean, and really what it turned into, I saw it as something where, you know, vets, a lot of them have been disenfranchised. You know, they've, they've gone and they fought our wars. And so many of those wars were for oil, as we know. And then they come back here. And these were vets that were, you know, American Indian or, or not just, you know, whatever. It didn't even matter. There were Mexicans and, and Caucasians and, and, and so on. All, all these people there that were veterans that have fought our wars that came to Standing Rock to defend the honor of the land and the people and the culture. And I felt like, man, these vets in that instance had the opportunity to defend and serve and, and really to, to defend something beautiful, not oil, <laughs> not taking, you know, controlling another country or destabilizing, destabilizing another country so that we could use their resources or, or whatever, whatever it is, the political power that we wield around the place. And this wasn't that. This was something truly beautiful for the people, for uh, America's first nations, no less. That seems like maybe the most righteous and beautiful kind of fight that a lot of those veterans have ever been involved with. What are your thoughts on that? I thought it was really honorable and very humble for them to come and stand up for the right cause that they believe in and that they, you know, I believe why I joined the military and they did too was because to better our future and to keep our country safe and clean and you know when you go to war for something that you're lied to and then you stand in there and you see that you know you've been lied to the only thing you can do is have each other's back to come home alive Mm -hmm. and then you come home alive and you look around and I live in Frack Alley and and you see that what you fought over there is here and and you realize you know, what, what did we go to war for in the first place? And and then you see the gas prices still rising, but there's fracking everywhere. And you realize this is not even our, it's going out of country. The same thing as um, DAPO was doing, same thing. And so you see somebody, you see your comrades coming and they're coming for a reason that they believe and that they love. And they know that people are in distress and the flag's upside down Mm -hmm. and they're doing it because we need help. And they seen that distress call and they came to the call of duty. They told that line without hesitation because they knew what was going on was wrong. They knew that they made an oath to this country in the beginning when they told that line to, of to protect this country against foreign and domestic Mm -hmm. and they realized you know this is in our own country and we're fighting a domestic cause because this is going to destruct our land it's going to destruct our water it's going to create a menace to our way of life and they realized that and they came to the call of duty without hesitation like you know, they believe like they did when they signed up, you know, they believed in something 
greater than themselves to be of service to this country without hesitation. And they realized that people are, you know, need our, need their help. And, you know, there was busloads that came and, you know, there was angry. There were some of them that were angry, you know, that were ready to fight, that were ready to die right then and there. And I talked to a lot of them and realized, you know, but like you said, you know, um, these things have to happen for us to realize, you know, we need to wake up and do something about it. And um, when you, when, when Trump created a forest fire, he didn't realize that the people that are coming are the young people. And not only them, but there were people that are waking up to these kind of oppressions and realize this oppression doesn't have no color. This is on everybody. And um, that's what these warriors stood up for, and that's what they believed. That's how I saw it, and I embraced them. You know, I embraced them with prayer and, and you know, thanked them and, you know, was very honored, and I was very humbled to see that. I was very honored to be a part of that as well. There's a bigger story going on here, as, as you well know, that, than most people know. Uh, you know, this, this can appear as one, you know, one group of people or one reservation or, or whatever it is that you want to call it with Standing Rock, having one particular issue and one particular moment and so on. Like, I think we, again, because of our news cycle, we have the ability to frame it that way and then just kind of push it off. But there is a bigger story that's happening here. There's a story that's been going on forever. I mean, I started volunteering for American Indian movement when I was 15 or 16 years old. So, you know, I've (laughs) 20, 20, 25 years that I've been involved in a lot of this discussion. And for many people in America, the discussion just came up last year when Standing Rock hit the scene, you know, with it, with in the media. I mean, Uh, so let's talk a little bit about the, let's get into the Lakota wisdom and what that's about. So I, you know, we, we talk a lot about about uh, Lakota wisdom and, and, and other indigenous principles on this show a lot, but because you're here, I'd like to just get your take on it. So let's start with sort of a foundational element with the red road. And, and could you just describe for us your, your interpretation anyway of the, the red road journey? That's a big, big gum. <laughs> <laughs> yes, it is. And everyone has their own interpretation. So I'm not, I'm not, I don't want to put you on the spot and say, hey, this is the interpretation. But I think with you sharing your personal interpretation, it gives us a window into the idea, the sentiment behind the Red Road journey. My red roads began, wow, over 20 years ago on how I came to be where I'm at today. 
And, um, but my journey on this railroad has been a fulfilling, blessed one, even through the triumphs and my errors and my mistakes and everything has molded me to be who I am today. I wouldn't change it for the, for anything. Um, because it has taught me to be true to myself. And when you're true to yourself, you learn how to realize the love you have for yourself. And when you do that, you see a connection. And one of the things I talk about is the longest journey you can ever make in your life is the mind to the heart. Mm-hmm. And I had to do that um, to understand my purpose in this world and where I belong and um, where, what kind of work am I supposed to do in this world? Because I was lost before. And um, so when the Red Road showed me my journey and my purpose, it made me realize my self-actualization and to understand my purpose in this world is to bring people together, to build nations and build bridges and help people to connect with these old ways to help themselves find self-actualization in their life, to see from their heart the Red Road. And that journey of the Red Road is full of compassion. All the virtues, uh, love, generosity, courage, fortitude, understanding, wisdom, all of that stuff that comes with it. And when you start to see that and you start to um, have that as your, as your guide on this, on this red road, it will never fail you. We're the only ones who do that to ourselves. But if we stay true to what we believe in and what we say and walk it, it will never fail you. It will always carry you to where you belong and where you're supposed to be. And um, even our mistakes, you know, teach us who we, what we need to do. Because our mistakes and our failures, our hurts, our pains, our losses in life, you know, they teach us to be strong in this in this world, in our life today, because in the future, there's people waiting for us to help them. Children, men, women, they're waiting for us to help them. And so we have to make these mistakes and we have to go through these, these depressions you know, and, and these pains and mistakes to learn the understanding we need to do, uh, help people with. So I always encourage people when you're going through a hard time to be strong through that. Don't give up because that's a teacher. That's your teacher going to be your teacher. And it's your, and and it's going to teach you how to be a beautiful person in your life because you're going to pick somebody up. You're going to, and that's why I always say, like people say, the creator works in mysterious ways. And that's so true. And, uh, the great mystery is so powerful and beautiful in that way. It shows us when we come out of that depression or whatever it is we go through that's hard and we think it's unbearable, we realize it was actually a blessing in disguise. And you're picking people up that this is what the creator says, I love you. 
but I have to teach you first. Mm. And then, and then you realize because I had to teach you is because this person needs you. You need to pick this person up. Mm. And so that's why, that's what the red road teaches you. The red road is not, it's a loving, loving mother. It's a, it's a loving father. And it teaches you to be loving to yourself so you can be loving to others. And that's where, that's why people benefit when you learn to love yourself. People benefit from that love because they tell you in the old ways that it takes a warrior to cry. And the reason why is that is because the first thing they teach you as a young baby or kid is love. They show you love. They teach you love. They teach you how to be loving to your grandmas and grandpas in your community. And when you're taught first the power of love, then they re- then that love will teach you how to sacrifice with courage. And, and, and then when people see you cry, they know you have compassion. And compassion, when you have, when people know you have compassion, they, they know that you're willing to sacrifice and, and protect anything that comes to harm anybody. You, you do it in a way that's honorable because that love teaches you that honorable. And that's what the Red Road has taught me in my life and how it is, how it, it affects my life. You know, I, of course, we're human. We're not perfect, but we're not meant to be perfect. And these ways are not meant to be easy. They're meant to be hard. There's a reason why. Because we're supposed to have a purpose. We, we have to have ambition. We have to learn that. We have to go through that. So that's just a small synopsis of the red road to me, what it means to me. Uh, I love your perspective on that and, and all of the beauty in that and the way that you, the way that you see it, your perspective. Yeah. It's, I think there's a, you know, there's a tendency to think even with those that aren't familiar with the red road scenario. I mean, ultimately what it's getting at, you know, there, there's the red road and, and the, I guess the proverbial black road, uh, the, the black road would be, you know, the easier route, the, the, uh, uh, not engaging, not getting involved, those kind of things. Uh, not It's kind of the opposite of the self-actualization or the hero's journey, really. I think the red road and the hero's journey is very, very closely tied together. And they, it, it is a choice, you know, and, and we, we're then stuck with or left with that choice, that opportunity, really, to say, I'm going to take the red road. I recognize it might be more difficult. There might be some struggles along the way. The black road would be easier, but at the same time, less fulfilling. I'm not going to find my passion, my love there. I'm not going to find fulfillment and so on. So it is a choice that we take. And it's, it's not, you know, I think there are times when we say, okay, I'm, there's a big pivot. But then it's an everyday choice, an every moment choice. Um, yes. And it's about feelings and emotions. Like you said, I love that you, that you noted that. Uh, because I, I'm a big believer in not stifling those emotions, but leaning into them and feeling all the feels so that, because it's there, you know, that is coming from our creator and that, it, that energy, that force. And it's an opportunity for us to toil with those emotions, to dance with it, if you will, uh, to see what they have to teach us, to listen. You know, we have to be listening. And I think the Red Road Journey for me is a lot about listening it's a lot about faith and, and uh, 
not having to have, you know, irrefutable proof in front of me for everything. Uh, it's not a religion, you know, it's not saying like it has to be this way or that way, but it is a, an active um, connection and a, and a continual listening and viewing everything and everyone, every experience and, and so on as a teacher. I believe that, you know, everyone is our teacher. And, and I think that that also applies to instances and experiences and things like that. So way of light. Yeah. Yeah. So there's a, yeah, that, I mean, the, the red road journey is, is such a, a beautiful path and choice. And yes, it comes with struggles, but it's those struggles that define us that, where we see, well, it's not even that we see our character there. I, I think we hear that quite often, but, and we do, but I think it's because our character is developed there in that struggle, in that willingness to listen and toil with those emotions and the lessons that come up along the way. So, I mean, and that's, that's been a big part of my draw to, uh, you know, just to American Indian culture and, and, and ways. Uh, and then specifically the Lakota, let, let's talk a little bit about that specifically there, there, when I look at Lakota wisdom, for me, there is a, I have a, I guess a cognitive bias there because I've spent the majority of my life just studying that and, and, and studying the sort of the heroes of the Lakota wisdom and, and, and tradition, as well as all of the history and the, uh, the cultural dynamics and the traditions and, and things like that. So, how how would you describe kind of the nature of the Lakota wisdom uh, to someone that has no idea about it? Lakota wisdom is basically a way of life, just like the Red Road. It's how you carry yourself. From my grandmas, what they taught me was that our philosophy comes from the buffalo, the buffalo people, they say. And the Buffalo people have used to be billions on this earth, you know, and outnumbered, outpopulated uh, the human race. As we lived amongst the Buffalo and uh, realized that they had a philosophy and how they took care of their own and how they would pass their knowledge on to the little ones was always matrilineal. And... uh, so it was always the female in the herd that was matrilineal. And the bulls and the warriors would always circle or be on the outskirts of the herd looking for danger. And the females and the little ones and the elders are always in the middle. And they knew how to separate out to not uh, inbred as well. Hmm. And there was always a... Um, um, an adoption that they did because there was no orphans in the herd. If a calf lost its mother, another one would come in and adopt that calf. So it wouldn't be motherless. And, um, and they would always, um, the females were always teaching down the, um, the philosophy, the teachings of the, the way. So that's how we adopted our way of life from the, buffalo and it was that philosophy that we took and we took into our lives and we used it and we understand the sacrifice of what the buffalo has given to us as well and it was that way it was the buffalo from that nation 
that our Lakota ways came from a spiritual being called the White Buffalo Calf Woman, who brought this Lakota way of life and the sacred chanupa, the sacred pipe that was given to the people. And there was protocols. There were seven teachings that were given. And within those seven teachings, there was more teachings underneath each teaching. And those philosophies and those protocols and teachings and virtues and values were given to the people to uphold because of hardship that came in somebody's life and our, our communities, our nation's life. And they would always revert back to revert back into this way of spirituality to uplift people, to help them to understand that, you know, there's a purpose in life. And so the Lakota way of life was um, adopted from the Buffalo people and the Buffalo philosophy of how they would carry themselves in, in their lives. And we use that in our way in the sacrifice of life, of food, of shelter, of clothing, of tools, of whatever needed to be in that, in that sacrifice. And so <clears throat> we take that philosophy and that way of life and we use it into our life and how we don't just take care of our family. It's always extended. That's why the adoption ceremony was extended. And that's why a lot of people have families like, let's say, Nako. Nako is my, my nephew. And in that knock in that adoption way of life, and and as a nephew and and a and an uncle, um, in the Lakota way, the mothers have sisters, so her son will have many mothers and many uncles if she has brothers as well. So many fathers, I mean, and so the uncles are the teachers and the aunties are the teachers so on and so forth. And so, and that's how our relationship came to be through a spiritual way of life. So I have many nephews and many nieces because people come to me and call me uncle. And I, and once somebody calls you that, you have to live up to that expectation. You have to be sure that you're doing the right thing because people are, are depending on you and that way of life. And so you have to really be sure that you're ready to be called an uncle or an auntie or a father or a mother. And so in that way, you, you know, I have many relatives and um, people took me in as their son, as their nephew. And um, so that's the Lakota philosophy and way of life that how people adopt themselves or adopt their, or we adopt them into these ways because a lot of people come from, different walks of life and adopt the Lakota way of living and way of life, spiritual way into their lives. And so it becomes a part of them. Not that they're Lakota, but they choose to uh, adopt that way of life into their lives. So it's a part of them now. Mm -hmm. And then they walk that way of life. If that makes sense. Yeah. I mean, I can relate <laughs> completely to that one, not being Lakota and the fact that the, the way that my family has chosen to live and to, to raise our children, um, it is the Lakota way. And that, that we, we've, uh, you know, my kids have only known those principles growing up. <laughs> uh, and the, I feel like that, that way speaks to 
how we view and deal with community, with our, our relationship with nature, our connection to, you know, to nature, humanity, spirit, uh, how we raise our children, how we educate ourselves, how we work, um, my, my practices, spiritual practices, everything comes from that Lakota wisdom. Um, so I'm, yeah, I mean, I, I think actually that, let me, I'm going to read this, this is funny because it comes from a Navajo, but, uh, there, there's a Navajo medicine man, White Feather. I, I talked to you about this at one point uh, when we were having a conversation before. But I love this quote. It's sitting here on my desk beside me. Um, and it says, uh, Native American is not blood. It is what is in the heart. The love for the land, the respect for it, those who inhabit it, and the respect and acknowledgement of the spirits and the elders. That is what it means to be Indian. And I feel like that speaks so much to what you just talked about in that it's not necessarily a blood thing. It is a way of seeing the world. It's a belief system. It's, uh, it's much more about your faith and your, your lifestyle and your choices uh, than it is about the blood. And I think that, you know, that, that leads us into an interesting conversation that you and I have had a little bit of discussion about as well. Um, and I'm going to start off on the, the, the front end of this with the okay if we recognize and i do i think we both do recognize lakota wisdom as being uh, a value to any human being right it's not just that that community but to say that this is a way of living a way of seeing the world uh it's a way of it's a philosophy that we can implement into our own lives uh to help us on our red road journey we recognize that, you know, everyone can be on a red road journey. Everyone can choose that and that these principles apply to everyone. There's no dogma or rules and things like that. There is, this is not a religion. It it is a way. It's just a way of being like we see the way of Jesus or the way of Lao Tzu. Um, Mm -hmm. These are the way of Buddha for for that matter. Um, So I, I think for me, I feel, and part of the reason I created this show is because I, I feel responsible. It's like I found this, you know, this amazing information, this, this, uh, you know, download from the universe, I feel like, and, and, and in the Lakota wisdom, like, oh my gosh, this is a way to live and it's beautiful and it's connected. It's interconnected. It reveres our interconnectedness. Um, and if I look across, you know, the world today and, and let's keep it to the United States for this particular discussion, if we look across the United States and say, okay, there healing needs to happen here. What is it that we can, what, what is a philosophy or, or some ways that are, you know, that, that are not the traditional kind of religious dogmatic kind of ways that, that tend to cause division, but just something that we can look at and say, this is a path um, to, to healing and to, to helping us to connect with, with each other and nature and spirit. I feel a sense of responsibility to share that with everyone. Again, that's kind of the nature of this show is say, okay, let's talk about these things and help people understand that these are, this is not just like relegated to some tribe in the West. This is, uh, uh, this is something that all of us, a philosophy that anyone anywhere in the world can use to uh, facilitate their self-actualization, you could say, which I think is the same as saying the Red Road Journey. Um, what are your thoughts on that in terms of your personal view and kind of the view of the Lakota community as a whole in that regard? A lot of people, you know, struggle with um, 
the atrocities of what happened on this and uh, in, in, in this country, mm-hmm. and they don't want to admit it because they don't want to admit the wrong, and there's a lot of shame and guilt. And the one thing about that is that if you keep holding that in, it only blows up into a big uh, problem. And we then what comes out of that is a false, you know, wall. You put up a wall and you put up these, you know, these fronts that are not even you. And because of that, we have to admit these things, accept them. And when we accept them, we start to heal from them. We start to acknowledge them and, and realize that they did happen and that all these things has happened. So we need to accept that. And then we begin to heal. It's not, it's not saying sorry. It's, it's living it. It's doing it. It's being it. It's acknowledging it. It's, it's, it's um, bringing communities together, <clears throat> bringing a nation together to heal together. But it has to begin from someplace, and that someplace is that person, the individual. Because, you know, today we have a lot of things that are happening because of the, I always call it the disease of the mind, where it's, it's racism, it's greed. And, and um, we have to understand that there's a melt, this is a melting pot country now, as we know. And we have to accept that and accept everybody for who they are and uh, create a way of life for others to follow and uh, not follow, but I guess to, because we're all coming from different perspectives, from different religions, from different ethnicities, and we all have our beliefs in one way or another. And we're trying to get along into this country, in this country where but we all have our differences and where we're coming from and our beliefs and what we believe in. And, but, you know, there's, there's one thing that, you know, happens in this country is everybody's mad. You know, there's a mad black man, there's a mad white man, there's a mad Mexican, uh, Asian, there's the mad Indian, you know, everybody has some kind of issue that they don't want to put down. And it's that pride that doesn't put they don't want to let it go and so we have to somehow have that kind of leadership we have to have a leader in this country to recognize that to put let people put down their their guard it's okay you know put down your guard let's do this together but we don't have a leadership like that there has to be an example because there's there's it's divided now Everybody uh, believes in one thing or the other. And there has to be a leadership that comes in with the humility and humbleness to, to let people know it's okay to put down your guard. And we're going to take care of this country. We're going to take care of this country. We're going to take care of the people. We're going we're gonna to create environment that's healthy for the people. And, and, and help. there has to be a leadership like that that comes in. So people can really see the true leadership of that person, of that leader. And uh, right now it's not like that. And it divides because people don't want to be, you know, they believe that they did the right thing, but they don't want to admit it's the wrong thing in this country. And that's where I think a lot of problems are happening right now.
that's just my opinion, I guess. Yeah, I agree. I think the, you know, the, the question then looms, what, what is it, you know, how do we take this Lakota wisdom and amplify it? How do we get, you know, how do we find better leaders that are going to do that? How do we contribute to this movement? And, and really, I, I guess it's the kind of saying, okay, knowing what we've just talked about, what are some of the steps towards helping us heal as a nation in terms of taking that wisdom and saying, look, here's our current situation and the history that got us here. Both are important. And here's this wisdom and ways of the Red Road and so on. How do we marry that? How do we, uh, you know, I, I don't know that many leaders to look to in this regard. Either you are certainly one of them, which is why you're on the show today. Uh, and, and there are, there are quite a few others. I look at people like Nako Bear, you know, who is, uh, in, in my opinion, has done so much to amplify that wisdom, to bring it into the mainstream. Um, and, and has certainly had a huge impact on my family and, and consequently our, our circle of friends, cause it's the only thing we listen to. <laughs> um, <laughs> we're, we're, we're big, uh, big supporters and amplifiers of his, of his particular interpretation of all that wisdom and, and so on. So, I guess the, the, the big question there is like, what are your thoughts on how we start to bring this wisdom into modern society and to, uh, to start, you know, in an effort to create a movement that results in a shift and, and specifically a cognitive shift in, in the perspective of Americans. Cause I think that's where we have to start. The problems we deal with on the outside are more tangential. Those are symptoms, but the, the, pro, the root problem is the way people see and think. Um, how do we start to address that? Vote for me for president of the United States. Just kidding. <laughs> I would consider that. <laughs> I'll run your campaign. <laughs> well, there has to be a leader that steps up to do stuff like that. Yeah. It, there has to be a leader that's willing to step up to do that because you have to be willing. If you're going to be a leader, you have to be willing to take criticism, ostracizing, all of that stuff. You have to be strong in that and realize you can't take it for granted. And the work I do, you have to be strong in that kind of work because you're working with less fortunate people that are mentally uh, unstable and mentally um, traumatized in many ways. So and in a leadership role, you have to have somebody to step up to make some noise like Standing Rock, to be able to voice their, their opinions, to voice their, their, their strategies of how to heal a nation. And people need that to to hear that they need to hear that and uh there need to be either a woman or an indigenous person or somebody that has that humility and humbleness that's willing to take that like you know bernie sanders was good but there's need somebody that that needs to have um a bear uh I, i don't know how to say it but there needs to be somebody that's willing to step up and talk about these issues not be afraid of them you know we have to address a lot of things that are wrong with this country and and because we're taking everything and we're shifting it to other world countries world other places in the in the world we're not focusing on our people here in this country we're not focusing on the healing of the land we're not on the water on the people we need to bring those issues up and and address all these things that are, are happening to our environment, 
our, our culture, our, our system, you know, we have to be able to have people address some, a leader to address that, to address the working class, the, the, uh, the healthcare system, uh, the problems with uh, agriculture and um, the USDA, all these issues, they all have to be addressed some way, somehow, because we need to better this country to bring people to be healthy because we can't be, everything we're doing, we're making ourselves sick and we're allowing it. Mm-hmm. We're letting them do that to us. So we need somebody to step that up. We need somebody to step up on the platform and say, you know, this is what I, this is why I need to be, this is what I want to do as your leader. This is what yeah. I will do for you. Because we see and hear the same thing over and over promises and it's all false promises it's not true there's it's all because you know we're taking these these politicians are taking money over people they're taking profits over people and that's wrong you're 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 quiet i'll be quiet if you give me this much money and they don't realize their truth can help so many people a nation you know and and we're allowing this to happen we're allowing this people to get away with these things are leaders and that's wrong we can't we got to hold them accountable for what they're doing you know we can't be doing that to this country people have fought and died for this country and we just sweep them under the rug and forget about them and forget about their sacrifices we got to have some kind of leader step up. That's what I believe. I agree. And we're going to unpack that one a little bit more, I think in another episode, but one of the things that is, okay. So I I worked in, uh, in East Africa. I lived and worked in East Africa for 10 years and about five of that was in, uh, in Kenya. And one of my, uh, jobs roles there, what through, um, uh, through a major human rights organization, let's just say, uh, they hired me to go in and and really to kind of work, you know, underneath the radar, but to work with the um, the civil society. And really, my task was to bolster the effectiveness of civil society because it's you know struggling <laughs> against the the regime. So I worked on that project for about eight months. Now this is after you know, 10 years of working in that region. But uh, that project was about eight months of putting that campaign together and so on. Anyway, I put it together. It seems like a great campaign. I've got a lot of experience in that game and so on. But ultimately what I realized as it was coming to a a close, I got kind of discouraged because I realized, you know what? This campaign would work in theory, you know, scientifically it's sound. But if... With, with the amount of tribes that we have in Kenya, um, it <laughs> like there, people make their decisions tribally, and they don't make them. Uh, you know, there, there's there's 43 tribes in Kenya, so if you think about that, 43 tribes would need to have some sort of agreement or come together on certain things in order to elect a, a president that they all agree with or whatever, or in, in order to, well, really do anything democratically, I guess. So what happens is because of the lack of actual democracy there, because of this dynamic, because of tribalism, we end up with the inability 
to create the most important element of a movement, and that's momentum. So I think that the, the, the regime there, the powers that be, look at that and say, hey, as long as people are divided, you know, the, you know the deal here. As long as people are divided, we can control them. You know, we pump them full of fear, mostly of each other, and then we keep them divided. And then consequently, they can never create a, any momentum, the big tidal wave that would combat our tidal wave. So then we have control over people as long as they're divided there. So... But then the people play into that because they're constantly just choosing their tribe, uh, you know, their, the tribal politics rather than the nation's politics at that time. So, uh, sound familiar? <laughs> we obviously see the same thing here in the United States in different ways. And then we see that in a, you know, another version of that. Um, well, actually, this is the part I want to ask you about. What is your thought? What are your thoughts on the that dynamic as it speaks to the American Indian um, population in the United States. I'm not even sure how many tribes there are in the, in the, in North America, but there are a lot. Uh, and there, it's, it, it's, you know, as a strategist, I have to look at that and say, okay, what would happen if all the tribes came together? Like sitting bull discussed back in his day as that potential in our future. What if all the tribes did come together to create momentum, to elect leaders, to start to heal our nation. What I mean, what does that scene look like from where you're sitting at? Well, there has to be a lot of porta potties. <laughs> Indeed. <laughs> Indeed. <laughs> well, you know, uh, when you bring an encampment like that, you have to bring select these leaders from each tribe. And you're gonna have to have uh a nation call that gathering together first and they're going to be the host. So they're going to bring the agenda up on these things, on these issues with these leaders, but these leaders will first talk to the people and gather the information from the majority of the people and bring those concerns to the center of the gathering. And, and they will, and, and the host will bring their agenda to the concerns of the nation. And so that's where it will be addressed. And, and a long time ago, in the Sundance, there used to be one Sundance in the Lakota Nation. And they would all come together, all these bands of Lakotas. And there would be these top warriors that would be revered for their hunting skills and their and their combat skills and these skills that in different societies that they were in and they would come to this to the Sundance and they would they would only the old people would choose only select few and there were the ones that were selected that were going to represent the people through ceremony because they depended on these ceremonies. And so these warriors would be fit. They'll be riding their best horses, dressed in their best clothes. But it wasn't them that they chose. They chose the ones that had humility and humbleness. Because those are the, that's the virtue of true pride. Because they put the people first always to understand the needs of the people. But they would lead 
in a way that had the dignity and respect of the people. And they would show that through the, the way they lived their life. And it was always taking care of the people. And doing for the people without asking anything. And so it was the people that took care of them. So this is the kind of leadership that you would choose to represent the people. And these tribes would come together. And when they would come together, you would bring these tribes together. You would, these tribes would pick their leadership from their tribe. And some tribes are bigger than others. So there's different bands. There's different, like the Lakotas are seven bands of Lakota. And um, so these Lakotas have different leaderships, different chiefs in those bands of, and the nations. And so they would pick their leaders, they would pick their warriors, their delegates to come and represent the people in that way and the concerns that the people needed to be taken care of. And so that's how, you know, you would bring the people together. And um, it was always through ceremony, though. You always did ceremony first. You always did prayer first. You mm -hmm. always made sure people were fed first and taken care of because food, breaking bread together, always puts in the trust and the comfort of people's hospitalities. <laughs> so, yeah. Yeah, and, and, and it's interesting you know, I, I cover a lot of uh, spiritual ground on this <laughs> this podcast, and I've talked about how the you know the that how food is supposed to be kind of this communion relationship with the earth. Uh, and really, if you want to look back in history and find someone that's wrote a lot about that, it was Jesus. <laughs> I mean, he talked a lot about how uh, food is supposed to be the com communion, but specifically to be done with other people, your neighbors. Your, or not your neighbors, just other people, to go to them, to live with them, to be around them, to be in their environment, to listen, to be empathetic, to be uh, tolerant, to be inclusive, and so on. Which again, and I think I, I talked to you about this once before too, but it's that idea that for me, that you know, the principles that I love that were articulated by Jesus, I find uh, to be present in the Lakota tradition. And for that matter, if we look at democracy, you know, and, and look at the, the, the concept of democracy in America versus the democracy that we see in a Lakota tribe. Uh, and, and even specifically, maybe kind of pre-1700s when things were a bit more pristine, you know. <laughs> um, but we, yeah. we have this... Uh, actually, there's a, there's a part there that, about the chief that I think might be worth mentioning in terms of the dynamic of a chief and, and, that, and how a chief comes to be, my understanding has always been, too, that if the chief were to become, let's just say, uh, to succumb to the ego or to, uh, to become uh, a force for negativity in the tribe itself, that that person would then kind of be removed as the chief but also my understanding is that, you know, I think in the American way often is, okay, remove them and punish them, put them in jail, you know, execute them, whatever it is. But that was not the way of the Lakota. It was more about healing that person and bringing them back into the community. So it's always this cyclical kind of thing. Um, and for me, that, I mean, what a beautiful form of democracy. What a beautiful form of, 
you know, politics, and I use the word politics, meaning the, the from politicos, the, the original concept is the way we organize ourselves as a community, the way we organize ourselves as a society. And I think that the way the Lakota organize your, yourselves as a society is beautiful uh, and very harmonious and very thoughtful. And as you said, you know, the, the ceremony that's involved, the prayer that's involved, the, the rituals and things that are involved, it's very thoughtful, uh, which is obviously a, a stark contrast to what we see going on in our leadership, especially in the White House today, where everything just, you know, the second it's thought of, it's tweeted or whatever, rather than going through a very thoughtful process that is democratic. So... I mean, I think there's so much there for us to to learn from and to pull from. Um, I do hope to see more, uh, I guess, coming together of the tribes, because I think that's the only way we're going to create a movement big enough to change the scene, you know. And, and I think that does need to happen. I was very encouraged to see what was happening uh, specifically at the heat of, you know, the pinnacle of... Uh, what happened at Standing Rock because of all the different tribes that did come together. Um, and obviously, you know, with technology these days, we have the ability to to come together, you know, quote unquote, uh, more than we could before, even through technology. You know, you and I are sitting here in different places geographically having a great conversation. So I think yes. more of that can happen. So I, I, yeah, like I, I'd love to see more of that happening and, and maybe, uh, maybe that's another discussion for us to have as well. But I, I want to, we're, we've gone a little over an hour here and I want to kind of wrap this one up and I have a boatload of other questions that we will get into in the next one that we do together. But I wanted to ask you a couple of personal notes too, just in, in growing up where you did, you know, at Standing Rock, do you, who were the you know, who were your heroes when you were growing up? Who did you look up to and you, that you would think, like my daughter looks up to Crazy Horse. She asked me, Daddy, why can't we have a president like Crazy Horse? And I said, oh dear, I wish we could. Uh-huh. Um, so that, like that's a hero of hers and she wants to grow up to be a good scout and things like that. Like when you, she's five, you know, so when you were a kid, as you were growing up, who were your, who were the influencers in your life? I had two uh, great grandpas, and one was blind, and the other grandpa was the one that I was seen for him. Mm. He, he was his eyes, and my great, their both name was Felix, kills pretty enemy, and the other one was Noah, has horns. Mm. And these are the, <clears throat> the two great grandpas that were very influential in my life. And um, they taught me a lot about the my dancing that I do, the singing, and um, the way to carry this way of life that was coming, that was coming for to me, that was going to carry me in my life. And these were the two influential teachers and my heroes in my life, and still are. And 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 of course. Grandpa Chief Sitting Bull was also one of my great influencers and teachers from through them. And my his sister is my is that's where I get my name from. Uh, Grandpa Chief Sitting Bull's sister, her name was Good Feather Woman. And so that's where I get my last name from from her. 
And so these were my teachers and, and, and they were the ones who influenced me to um, always do my best for, the, for my people, for all people, and to see people and treat people the way I want to be treated and to, to walk on this earth by taking care of her by my deeds in my life. Because that's how you earn your badges of honor, is your deeds of your life. And those deeds of my life are doing my work for people on this earth. And not only the people, but for the mother earth. And for all creation that was on her. And to be respectful in that way. So this is the way I carry myself. And I honor my ancestors by walking this red road because of their sacrifices. So they know that they, nothing was in vain. So as I carry myself, I do it to honor them. And so this is the way they taught me to be and to always look at nature as your relative. Everything that you see that has creation is your relative and to respect it that way. Excellent. Who are you inspired by today? Like, who are the people that you look to today that you think are important in, you know, players in this movement, uh, people to follow, people that inspire you in some way? There's a lot of people that I guess it's hard to, I guess, uh, really influenced me was, um, was, I guess, in this era was Nelson Mandela, Gandhi, um, Martin Luther King Jr., um, the movement of this movement was our youth, but our elders who taught us how to have a movement, to believe in a movement. And um, so there's a lot of leaders today that are good leaders, and I believe that would make good um, delegates in this country to be true leaders of inspiring people. And, um, uh, you know, I always believe in walking your talk and, um, you know, that's the way I was taught to be. So I always do my best to walk my talk. And, um, I, hopefully I see somebody like that stepping up in the leadership role of this country. And, uh, so, yeah, um, I can't name any names because so many of them, but yeah. I could just uh, say from my perspective was that's, you know, these are the leaders in my life that have influenced me. And, you know, um, there's many coming. And so we better take care of this world because if we don't, I believe this world is going to teach us a lesson. Yeah. <laughs> I believe that we all have an impact on people around us, right? On the environment around us, on the people around us, anything. Uh, we're all interconnected. And with that, yes. we're, you know, we're, we're influencing people around us, uh, making an impact in, on their lives in some way. You know, I always say, even if you're not doing anything or if you're you think that you're kind of disconnected from it. You're not. No one can be disconnected. <laughs> We're all connected. So, so your your in you know your presence here has an influence. Uh, what do you hope 
you you personally, Doug, what do you hope is the result of your influence in other people's lives? How do you want to influence people through your life? That, you know, I didn't, I want to influence people that if there's something wrong, you know, do something about it. Don't just stand around and not do anything because, you know, even though you feel like you're not the problem, you still are because you're not doing nothing about it. Mm -hmm. I mean, that's how I feel. Yeah. But, you know, I always, I guess teaching people how to love themselves and to be okay with themselves that the mistakes we have made and to learn how to forgive and to bring communities together by building bridges and um, helping people heal. And, you know, always, you know, stop judging people and, and always, you know, be willing to help the best you can, even if it's just a a support of encouragement or, you know, a support of a handshake or a donation, whatever that is in some way, you know, be willing to help. Um, Because the more we help each other, the, the more act of kindness that we give, we can make that into a, a tidal wave, be a pebble in the water. And that's what I believe, you know, will help people to start healing process. And so I hope that, you know, I'm able to inspire people in that way to always um, never give up on things that are hard and to know that you'll get through it and that will become your good medicine. Hmm. Beautiful. Well, thank you so much, Doug, for being on the show. And I'm really looking forward to diving into some of the other questions as well on our next interview or conversation, I should say. Uh, This has been uh, an honor. And I'm glad that, you know, I'm thankful for people like you that are out there taking up the responsibility and the opportunity to to bring this wisdom into people's lives and to be I know that puts you in a position of vulnerability. Uh, and there's, you know, from all different sides and there's risk involved in that and there's struggle involved with that and frustration and so on, but you get up and you do it every day and you do it with joy and you do it without the complaining and you do it in a positive way. And I love that. And I think, uh, yeah, I mean, you're, (laughs) I would put you in that category of leaders that are rising up. Uh, to help to bolster this movement. And, and I think that's important. And it's an honor to, to play a small role, at least in, uh, in amplifying your message. And I look forward to doing more of it. So thank you so much for being on the show. I appreciate that. And then if anybody wants to support this movement, you know, you can take text donate to 71441. 71441 yeah. is the text yes. there. And I will list all of your uh, your organizations and I, I'll list uh, some of the films and things that we talked about in the show notes. Uh, so everybody, okay. you can visit the show notes, go there, and, and you'll see all these links and things and how to connect with Doug as well and support his work. And 
Yeah, I mean, this will be an ongoing uh, scenario, and we'll continue. Also, you can see a lot of Doug's work represented on the NEP Radio website that has been there for a long time uh, for the Lakota Way Healing Center and Spirit Horse Nation and, and so on. And soon, his book, Think Indigenous, from Hay House, which I'm very much looking forward to. So we have lots more uh, great conversation and, and Lakota wisdom coming your way uh, in the next interviews with Doug Goodfeather. But uh, until then, Doug, thank you so much for being on the show. I really appreciate it. Mitakuya Yasin, my friend. Oh, thank you. Mitakuya The additional Lakota music that you hear in the background today is written and sung by Doug Goodfeather. You can check him out on Bandcamp as well. You can just go to Bandcamp and look up Doug Goodfeather. Uh, he's got two amazing albums on there. I have them both. I listen to them all the time. I hope you enjoyed them today. I do encourage you to do what you can to support Doug's work. He's doing amazing stuff. As he mentioned, you can text the word donate to the number 71441. Uh, he's got a lot of other links and things like that. Uh, it's all listed in the show notes. Check out Lakota Way Healing Center. Uh, really amazing organization. So is Spirit Horse Nation. Uh, Doug was a very integral uh, player in the Awake movie, the Standing Rock documentary. Amazing film. All kinds of other things you can get into. Uh, sw- uh, he's got sweat lodge ceremony songs and things like that. But uh, check him out when you get a chance and uh, do support his work. Thanks so much. I hope you enjoyed this excellent talk with Doug. Um, it was so cool of him to lend his wisdom to us on the show, and uh, he's, he's said he's going to be happy to do more of that as well. I'll have him back soon, and we'll have more discussions about the, the Lakota Way, and we'll, we'll continue in this journey, I guess, of understanding how do we take the wisdom of our ancestors, our indigenous uh, relatives, and overlay that over today's society. How do we use that to heal, to, uh, to help ourselves to self-actualize and, and also to further the consciousness of our planet? As always, I wish you peace on your journey. May you always align with love and let your life speak. Mitsaka Yasin.